Our special guest, I have not talked to Dr. Mary Beth Graham in probably a, over a year at least, maybe longer than that. She's medical director for infection prevention and control at Frederick Hospital and associate chief of the Division of Infectious Disease at the Medical College of Wisconsin. She's one of the smarties, <laughs> and I and I love talking to her during the pandemic, even though the subject was tough, and she joined us on the Tri-County Contracting Hotline. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Great I felt like saying, I'm back. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When we talked so much during the pandemic, I mean, and, I, and I, I guess the, the easy question to start, are, are we still in the pandemic, or is this post-pandemic? What What is this? You know, so, so the issue, it depends on when you talk about, is coronavirus still here? The answer is yes. Are we still seeing the same number of cases that we saw previously in 2000, 2001? The answer is no. Are we seeing the same number of hospitalizations? The answer is no. But is the virus gone? The answer is no. <laughs> so, you know, the, the issue is, is that we, you know, we call this the post-pandemic phase, but it's not a time to sit here and say, well, it doesn't exist anymore. The same is with influenza. Influenza is always here, comes in waves, and every year during respiratory virus season, we think about it. COVID will always, SARS-CoV-2 will always be with us, unfortunately. So I had a family conversation as part of a, a gathering last night, and, and one of my family members who I love said, ah, this is COVID, this reemergence, you know, COVID is just the flu. As a medical professional, is that accurate? Is that what we should be saying? You know, it depends on what you mean when you say it's just the flu. So the issue is with regards to morbidity mortality that we see with that specific virus, again, SARS-CoV-2, which is the etiologic agent of COVID, the manifestation of that viral illness varies from diff between different people. It's the same as with influenza. So younger, healthier people can have milder courses that don't land them in the hospital versus older individuals, especially those over the age of 70 and those who are immunocompromised or immunocompromising conditions, transplant, et cetera, um, it can kill them. The same as influenza can. So if you dismiss flu, you don't recognize the severity of the thousands of patients who die every year from influenza. And the same thing is going to happen from SARS-CoV-2. As a medical professional, somebody who studies these things and teaches these things, is it frustrating when we, I don't want to say trivialize, but just downplay some of the, the impact of these pretty dangerous diseases? So, so the issue is it's the balance. So do you want to be paranoid and live in a bubble? No. But do you need to use common sense and think about things with regards to what is my risk? What is the risk of the people whom I live with or whom I'm around? Um, and what do I need to do to protect them? So again, for healthcare professionals, we always think about annual influenza vaccination, not only because of what we are potentially exposed to, but as healthcare professionals, we want to be as healthy as possible when we're going in to take, the, uh, take care of our patients and not spread things to them. I will tell you from a personal standpoint, um, I avoided the lovely vid, which I've now called it that, um, for three years and eight months, and I took a plane ride on July 31st and on, no, on July 28th, and on July 31st, I was as sick as I have ever been. Wow. And it was my first experience with, with COVID. Um, fever for four days, um, sore throat that couldn't swallow, um, horrible, you know, body aches, diarrhea, fatigue. 
Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just the flu. I was down and out for, I was out of work for a week. Hmm. I mean, so the issue is, so the issue is, yeah, you can sit there and be flippant and say, yeah, it's just the flu. Um, but again, it, it can affect a lot of people in different ways. So my mantra for all of my patients as I see them this year and they're asking me about, should I get the booster vaccine? I'll talk to them about their risk and with regards to their underlying medical conditions and that they should, you know, consider again getting their flu vaccine and also getting um, the SARS-CoV-2 and then the new RSV vaccine, the respiratory syncytial virus. For certain patient populations, RSV can be deadly. So again, based on what your risk is, your age, et cetera, let's talk about things that you can do to protect yourself further. And Dr. Graham, it sounds like you may have avoided some of the long-term symptoms. Did you feel anything with that? I'm still tired. I mean, I'm about two and a half weeks out, and I'm I'm still tired. Um, The funny thing with me was it took me over two weeks for my antigen to become negative. So, again, when I'm going to work, even though I was back at work, I was wearing a mask full time um, until I finally had two negative antigen tests, which that's a little different than what's reported. They say most people's antigen will go away within seven to ten days. Um, And I don't know if it's because I took Paxlovid. I, I actually prescribed my myself Paxlovid. Um, I am I'm over 60. And so I said, you know, I'm in the age group where they said I should take it. Again, on a personal note, that was one of the most god-awful medicines I've ever taken in my life. Um, <laughs> this thing called Paxlovid mouth. OMG. It was horrible. Um, so I'm sitting here going, I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? Um, and I don't know, you know, they talk about Paxlovid rebound, but they also talk about rebound in patients who didn't take it. So I don't know if my antigen remained positive longer because I took that medication. But again, from my risk stratification because of my age, I said, yes, I should take this medication. Um, but anyway, no, back at work, you know, it's not slowing me down any. And we're running new COVID trials here at Fredericton Medical College. There are new medications that are out there uh, on the market that are being studied for especially hospitalized patients because our armamentarium is still fairly low. So um, if we do have patients who are admitted, we do have our traditional standard of care approaches plus some additional medications that we'll be able to offer our patients. And Dr. Graham, I think we, we've had some up, uh, upticks of cases in uh, certain circles and including at work. And it first just immediately triggered me like the exhaustion. Like I was a person who wiped everything off, wiped everything down, wore masks, you know, took all the advice. So it was just like, oh, do we have to go back into this world? Are we closer to just the simple, hey, stay at home if you're sick with anything contagious? Or are we still at a level where truly your fellow employees should be notified, 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 notified through your HR department. And oh, we do. Okay, we, we notify everybody. So essentially, um, if we have employees who are positive, um, they report it to occupational health. And depending on whether they are at work or who they had contact with, there are notifications that go out to all the contacts. Now, do they need to isolate? No. But again, the issue is, is that we alert people with regards to that. Um, and again, I think it's just a it's a logical thing to do so that people know. My husband also got COVID. I got it on an airplane. He got it. His symptoms were minimal. I mean, his symptoms were really minimal, you know, 
doggone it. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we're still in the was, world of trying to stop that spread. Yeah, no. But again, it's using, you know, so with regards to the spread, I've seen some stuff on the Internet where they're talking, it's time to mask again. Again, if you are in a certain risk category population, if you're going to go, I, I swear, I'm never going on an airplane again without without a mask on, period. I'm just mm. not. Um, you know, and it's no big deal. I usually sit in the aisle seat. I read my Kindle book the entire time I'm on the flight. I don't really do anything else. And wearing a mask isn't going to bother anybody. It's not going to bother me. So it's one of those things where, um, you know, just thinking about common sense things that you can do if you're potentially at risk. You know, do we need to shut down schools? No. Do we need to Lysol everything in sight? No. Do we need to Lysol off our food from the grocery store? No. But again, if you are in one of those age groups, um, again, it's usually the over 65, especially those over the age of 75, please consider getting your vaccine. If you're going to be in large groups of individuals that you don't normally work with or, or around, again, can you go to those? Of course you can. But let's say you're 75 years old and you went to the pink concert. You know, it might have been nice to wear a cute little pink mask to the mm. pink concert. Fashion accessory. Um, yeah. You know, could I put rhinestones on it. Just don't have it be crocheted like um, some people were in the past. So this, anyway, this question comes up every time that we talk about and I've and I've had this I've asked you this question before. Ivermectin. Any evidence, data studies that suggest it does anything when it comes to COVID? No. No. Pretty much the studies that they went back and looked at, um, and they looked at it proactively, and in countries, even countries that initially said, oh, it looks like it might do something, then they went back and did what were, were called controlled, comparative placebo-controlled trials. It didn't show any benefit. So, so let me ask the next question in, in a general sense. What do you say to elected officials, leaders who suggest that it does do something to prevent COVID or to heal people who have COVID? What, as a medical professional, what's your response to that? I don't argue with them. I, I to be honest, I, I don't get into that into that discussion because you can't. There's so much emotion on each side. There's a lot of emotion of people saying masks don't work, which just drives me crazy. Um, can you, so, I was saying, can you explain so, that? Because we are getting some questions on the old National Bank talk and text line, 855-616-1620, of whether or not masking is effective. Does it prevent you from from giving it to someone else, or does it prevent you from inhaling it? So, so the issue is it's, it's kind of a two-way street. And so if the person who has COVID is wearing a mask, it can cut down on the dispersion of viral particles that just come out of your mouth when you talk and you breathe, all right? But it's not 100%. If the other person is also, you know, if you know you have COVID and you're with other people and they are um, not wearing, basically they're not wearing a mask, there is a potential that you could spread this. So when I'm seeing, you know, again, when I'm seeing patients, I told them afterwards, um, you know, that I'm wearing a mask because I still tested positive. Now, granted, I was also wearing an N95 mask, which was, you know, fit tested for me in the hospital. So that that actually doesn't allow any of my, um, you know, basically respiratory virus, anything to come out. Um, in the community, if you're just wearing a regular surgical mask, 
those potentially could come out. So that's not the type of mask that I wore when I was still when I was seeing patients when my antigen was still positive. But um, again, if you know that you have COVID around somebody else, um, both people wearing a mask is the best is absolutely the best protection because one on the mask on the one person who's wearing who doesn't have it, it prevents those particles from getting into the nose and the mouth. And for the person who has COVID, it cuts down on that dispersion of particles that are coming out of your uh, of your nose and your mouth. One final question. We're joined by Dr. Mary Beth Graham from Fredert in the Medical College of Wisconsin. Um, I had this, this is a golf course conversation. I've traveled internationally a number of times. I've traveled domestically. I've been in stadiums full of people. I've been in concerts with people all around me. I've been in workplace situations where the person literally tested uh, positive or positive for COVID the next day that I was with them. I've never gotten COVID. I've had all the kinds of tests you can have to, to have COVID. Are some people just immune to it or is it just luck? There, there are some interesting studies that are going on. There's a study at Rockefeller University that is um, actually recruiting individuals to try to say, okay, if you've never had this, been exposed, is there something about you that prevents you from getting this? Because if we think about the way these respiratory viruses will come in, the type of receptors that they bind to in your upper respiratory tract, et cetera, is there something about you that is less hospitable? to this mm. particular virus. And that's still being studied. And they're finding, you know, little, you know, they're, they're trying to find things, you know, is there something specific? You know, is it this ACE2 receptor? Is it this? Is it that? So, yes, there are some people who um, don't, you know, haven't gotten it. And again, the whole question comes up, is it related? Has somebody had a vaccine? Has somebody had a subclinical um, infection? You know, where they didn't know that they had it? You know, do they have antibody? I mean, those are all the questions that are still unknown out there with regards to why some people do and why some people don't. And it's the same with, you know, looking at influenza. You know, a lot of times you'll go through flu season, people who never get flu vaccinated but don't get the flu, but then there's other individuals who will. There can potentially be different reasons why uh, people are more susceptible to respiratory viruses than others. It may be the immune system. It may be the waning immune system of somebody who's older. Um, just a lot of different things. Dr. Mary Beth Graham, Freighter, to Medical College of Wisconsin, and a subject matter expert, and I've enjoyed all my conversations. Thanks for taking the time and sharing your wisdom on this. I think it's a, it's a nice way to kind of set the table for what I think is going to be an interesting conversation as kids get back to school and the fall arrives, because that's really the time we start to see some of the rise in these numbers. So thanks for setting it up for us. All right. Have a good day. Absolutely. You that's too. why I love having her on, because she, kind of, she lays it out in, in the most clear way possible. Thanks to Dr. Mary Beth Graff for taking the time to join us on WTMJ.